This week on Writers Inc. If I feel like uh, like I've done this for a lot of scripts, like oh, I know what the story would be. I'm, I don't feel ready to write the script though because I know what the story would be, but I'm gonna have to do a lot of research about this world that I put everyone in and stuff. And then I'll just go, oh, I gotta get this down. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's In. Zach, how hot is it in Nashville right now? Dude, don't talk about the weather. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I knew that was going to be your response, and you're kind of in a surly mood. So I just wanted to poke the bear. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's fine. It is... Uh, it is 82 right now, so it's not that hot. Okay. But it's been it's been an abnormally like pretty chilly and overcast the last few days or like the last couple of weeks. But I have a feeling what that means is it's just going to get like blazing hot in the next week or so, and then not stop until October. So just put up with it while I can, I guess, All or right. enjoy this while I can. Oh, welcome to so. the Career Author Podcast. Let's kick it over to JD. What's the weather like? <laughs> <in your life? laughs> it's um 63 and sunny here in beautiful New Hampshire. <laughs> Um, I feel like I should be doing traffic and not 95 traffic is backed up all the way. Um, <laughs> no, go to Jay for sports. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm kind of struggling. I, I, I just, you know, I, I pants my books and I, I scrapped 20,000 words today on the, on the latest work Ooh. in progress. And I, I, I had to do it, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, like I, I was writing along and like, you know, when you're, when you're pantsing a novel, like sometimes you, you get to like a crossroads and you have to go one way or the other. And I, I turned left and I should have turned right. And I kept going left, you know, like, I'm like, well, it'll, maybe it'll come back around. Like it, it didn't come back around. Um, so I got 20,000 words deep into that, that particular section. And I just, I knew I took the book in a direction I didn't want it to go. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I hit highlight and hit delete and I'm 20,000 words shy again, but I, I actually mm. feel better about it. Um, the, the tricky part for me is, you know, like obviously a lot of information was communicated in those 20,000 words. And I have to like, you know, try to keep that in mind as I'm writing, like that didn't happen and it's not going to happen. And, you know what I mean? Like, you know, certain character development and stuff that already occurred has now been backtracked. It's like traveling back in time. Like I have to undo it all and, you know, not, not make assumptions about it. But, um, yeah, it, it, it is what it is. Now, you know? How did you know? How did you know you had to do that? I, you know, I honestly, you know, it's one of those things. I think I just because I read so much, like I just understand how a story is supposed to go. And like, it just didn't feel right. Um, you know, something kind of felt off, of, you know, right after I made the decision, I knew that I w it was off. And, you know, I was thinking, well, no, this might actually make it better. It makes it a little bit more complex. This is this is the way to go. And I kept telling myself that. Um, but as I got deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole, I, you know, I realized that it just it, it wasn't going to work. At least I, I wouldn't end up with the book that I originally wanted, which, you know, a lot of times it's OK. Um, but, you know, in, in this particular case i just there's a certain story i want to tell um so it just made sense to, to backtrack a little bit and you can't salvage any of those words for a characterization or anything I'm, I'm sure i probably will i mean you know little conversations here or there and, and stuff like that but um yeah i mean it, it's well it's, it's that's part of one of the traps that you can kind of fall into when you do this like you don't want to go back and start doing a whole lot of cutting and pasting because then you end up taking an extra two weeks and you're right back where you started from um, so for me, when I when I do a cut like that, like I, I literally hit the delete key, it, it moves into the, the trash on Scrivener and it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, you know, if I do run into some place where I know absolutely, you know, this particular conversation, I could steal from something I already did, then I'll go and dig for it. But otherwise, I probably won't look at it again. Fascinating. I, I, I this this is I, I just got to ask one more question. Uh, <laughs> this is my this is my worst nightmare. Like this is the exact reason I don't pants. No. Like I mean, you've obviously had a ton of success, and it's your process. But oof. yeah. So in, in uh, Jay, ask your questions. In, in Scrivener, then is it is it? Do you just have one running document, or did you delete like the equivalent of twenty thousand words from individual note cards? individual um, scenes or note cards. Okay. So there was, there was probably about 10 or 15 of them, okay. you know, each, each one, a couple thousand, you know, a couple thousand words or so. Okay. So you just said those just sit in the, in the garbage in Scrivener. And then if they're there, if you ever want to peek at them, but otherwise you're not. Yeah. 
<laughs> and and I know other authors that do this. You know, they they drag it you know to another file somewhere. And you know, Harlan Coben is notorious for this, where he's got a, a file for every book where he just drags all the unused words, and you know, he tells himself, "I'm going to reuse these at some point." You know, at the next book, and you, you never actually go back and use them again. Um, and for me, I think honestly, a lot of it is it helps me to figure out the story. You know, like I, I had kind of had to go down that rabbit hole in order to figure out where it really needed to go. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that, I think if you're creating an outline, you know, you, you obviously work through those issues as you're, you're doing the outline and, you know, when you're pants and you're doing it as you're, as you're writing. So it just, it happens at a different time, but I think time-wise it, it all kind of works out in the wash. It probably does. Cause like you said, you didn't spend that time outlining. So yeah, it, it is kind of a wash. I'll bet. Yeah. On a cheerier note, <laughs> I got a, a, this, this week has been very weird. Um, so I, you know, I, I mentor a lot of, of aspiring authors and, and I've got a lot of friends in the industry and I, I heard two different people told me very similar stories. One of them had signed with a small press and that small press charged them to go back and do a copy edit, um, on, on their book. Um, and, and they basically, they didn't charge him up front. They, they put it up against the royalties. So any money coming in that they're going to, they're going to debit him against that, that copy edit. Um, which is, you know, any, anybody familiar with this industry, they know that that's a no, no, like the author should not be paying an, you know anybody at that point for, for a copy edit. If you go off on your own and you do it or a developmental edit or any of those kind of things, you know, as the author, you know, that that's no problem. You can do that. But if a publisher picks up the book and they decide that they want to do those types of things after the fact, um, that's not on you that, that, that bill should be footed by them. Um, so I would be very careful. And this is what I told him, you know, just make sure you read the fine print on those, those contracts before you sign, because he, he can't get out of it. You know, it's, 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 it's in there in the small print. Like this is something that they're allowed to do. Um, and it's a fairly hefty, you know, bill, you know, that, and it's coming out of his pocket. Um, and along the similar lines, I, I heard from another author, uh, who had submitted a, a book to an agent and that agent, you know, passed on it, but told that person that they do developmental editing on the side. And they, they basically said, I, you know, I'll, I'll fix this book for you for X dollars. Um, you know, which again is a, another no-no. Like an agent shouldn't be doing that. Shouldn't be charging an author to, to develop a story. Like if you know, I worked as a, a book doctor for so many years, and a lot of times I was hired by an agent. But you know, it, it was a similar situation. They got a book that you know needed some work, and they knew that you know somebody had to step in and do it. Um, but they reached out and they hired me, and the agency covered my fees, or the publisher covered my fees, or somebody covered the fees. But it was never the author. Um, and and those types of things shouldn't come down to the author. So like if if, if anybody hears those types of things, if an agent and a publisher, anybody is is trying to get you as the author to pay for a, a developmental edit or a copy edit or any kind of edit, anything that should take place after the fact, you know, book covers, anything like that, um, run, <laughs> try, try and get out of that as, as quickly as possible. Cause that, that's horrible. That doesn't even make sense to me. I mean, the, in the first example, you know, isn't, isn't the publisher responsible for putting it through their team of editors? Like how could it go through that and then have them turn around and say, Oh, and by the way, you need an additional copy edit and it's on you. Well, I think what's happening is, you know, obviously this world is, is shrinking quite a bit and, you know, people are, are jumping around trying to figure out how to, to survive in, in publishing in general. Um, this was a, a small press. And one of the things that I'm seeing a lot in small presses is authors that, you know, were publishing their own books and, you know, maybe did okay or maybe didn't. But, you know, for whatever reason, they decided not to pursue their own titles. They decided to publish for other people. Um, and by doing that, you know, they they basically expanded and became what they call a small press. But these same people are the ones that are doing this kind of thing where they're charging a lot of these things back, you know, to, to the author or trying to. Um, and that's definitely not a, a model that's existed before, but it, it feels like, you know, money is getting tight and, you know, the, the model is evolving into something like this. And, you know, I, I, I don't think we should let it. Yeah. Yikes. Now, was this, just to be clear, was this a book, as far as you know, like, that had this, like, did the did the small press go through and do an edit and stuff on, or was this a book that was already done and they were, like, re-releasing it or something like that? Do you, because that's kind of how no. I, I, it sounded like to me as I took it. Like, this book had already been, like, the author had already been through edits and stuff. And the the publisher was buying it as is, but being like, you need to go get a copy edit though and pay for it. That's how I took it. Am I wrong? Yeah. So they, they bought the book, um, you know, no, no agent involved directly from the, the author. Um, and once they brought it in house, they, they said, well, this is going to need a copy edit. This is going to need a, a developmental edit. And, and they basically created a laundry list of things that the contract allows them to do. Um, and they're going to go off and do, and every one of those things will be billed against future royalties on the book. There, wow. there was, there was no advance, you know, so the author didn't get any money up front and, you know, now coming off his 50% of, you know, what he would have earned before is, is this, you know, all this nickel and dime stuff. 
Um, yeah, that again, almost sounds like one of these. I I don't want to use the word scammy, but I, I I guess I am. But like things where people are like, we'll publish your book for, you know, and they charge you like $30,000 and, you know, and that it almost sounds like that. And I'm not I'm not accusing yeah. the small press of doing that, but it's, you know, it sounds like a similar practice. To well, that. I'm, I'm accusing them of doing that. And it's it's, you know, it's the, the vanity press all over again. It's the that's what I was trying to say. Vanity. vanity press. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, you know, and a lot of people will sign those contracts because they just don't know any better or they, they want to be able to tell people they have a publisher or they feel that that's the way the industry works because they, you know, nobody tells them otherwise. So I, I'm standing on my, my milk crate telling people it doesn't work that way. Please don't do it. Yeah, and I think the the agent one, that's a that's a pretty clear conflict of interest there. Yeah. <laughs> I can't it's, imagine. It's scary. Yeah. But you know, you know what made it worse, though, is that that same agent, you know, said, well, you know, I'm not the only one doing this. This is this is the current trend. This is where people are leaning. And, you know, I went over to Reedsy, um and, and went to the, the agent section and typed in uh, editor. And, and I found a dozen or more of, of people claiming to be agents that also charge for, for editing services. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with them doing that on the side as long as they're not doing it for the same person. They, they yeah. shouldn't charge, charge somebody, you know, with the hopes of, of being their agent, with the hopes of getting them a publishing deal. Like, it, it shouldn't all be part of this, the same process. If an agent reaches out and wants to hire somebody to, to tweak a book and foot that bill, like, all that makes perfect sense. But they shouldn't be charging it all back to the author without any kind of end game in mind. Or, or I want to ask a kind of a, a question just in, out of ignorance, just because I'm not totally familiar with the process, but are agents bound to any sort of like organization or union or anything with like a, a law of ethics they're supposed to abide by, like where they could get in trouble and like loot, like for lack of better words, like lose their license, quote unquote, or something like that. You see you know what I'm asking? Yeah. Yeah. No. And there should be something like that. I mean, there's, there's the AAR um, and they just renamed into to something else. And I forget what the new name is, but it's basically an association of, of literary agents. Um, okay. But, and, and they can be members of it, um, but there's no license involved in being an agent. You know, gotcha. like and literally anybody can call themselves an agent, put up a website and a shingle and, and be an agent the next day. Um, so they're, they're not obligated to, to adhere to that. Um, I, I, I do think it's a good idea. AAR is the, the website. I, I think it's AAR.com or AAR.org. Um, but if, if you go there, you can see the, you know, the, they call it their canon, um, which is essentially their rules for literary agents. Um, so if you're new to the business and you just have an agent or an agent is telling you something that sounds a little hokey, you know, that's a good starting place. You know, take a look at that, read through the canon and see, you know, whether what they're you know telling you is legit or not, because that, that's essentially the, the guideline that an agent should be following. Yeah, hopefully that practice disappears because yeah. that's that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, not. not at all. But I, I, I honestly, I see it getting worse. And, you know, it's just the, the waters are getting very muddy right now. And, you know, everybody is trying to figure out how to survive and how to make a buck. And, you know, unfortunately, they're, they're taking advantage of other people. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get to our business, uh, one quick announcement. I, this just came up on my feed before we went to record. Uh, and, and I'm really pleased to see it. Uh, Stacey Abrams, a Georgia politician, uh, just sold two new thrillers to Doubleday. Uh, so that, that's great for her. Uh, she published While Justice Sleeps uh, last year, or this, maybe, maybe this year. Um, and so this, this is two more. So I just wanted to mention that. I thought that was some nice news for everybody. So these are thrillers or not nonfiction? Uh, these are two thrillers. I think they're going to be legal thrillers, my understanding. Okay. So That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, nice. Uh, all right. Uh, so want to, as always, give a nice shout out to our sponsors, oh, all those folks over at Kobo Writing Life. Remember that Kobo Writing Life empowers you, the author, to take your self-publishing career into your own hands. So no exclusivity, monthly promotions. If you're publishing wide, head on over to KoboWritingLife.com and check it out. We want to give a shout out to new patron, Deanna Kihei. Uh, welcome, Deanna. If you're interested in joining us for the monthly Q&A, uh, whether that's submitting a question or coming on live with us, head on over to patreon.com slash writersincpodcast and all the information is there. So that brings us to our guest this week. Who do we got, JD? We have Justine Bateman. Justine Bateman, blast so, from the past. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, I, I talked to a lot of different people about who we've got coming up and things like that. And, and this name through, you know, quite a few people for a loop. They're like, you know, why? Yeah, you know, I, I get that she's got a book coming out, but like, how does she fit with what you guys are talking about? And, and here's why. And this, this is um, the reason that, that I got into reading memoirs and, and just this type of book. Um, essentially, it helps me with character development. 
Um, you know, like her book that she wrote, you know, is not something that I would have normally picked up off the shelf and, and read. Um, you know, it's a fascinating topic, just not something that impacts me. Um, but reading a book like that, you know, really helps me to develop characters along that, that, that line. And, you know, like she's somebody who I, she grew up in Hollywood, you know, she was on TV at a very young age and she's been in that, that world her entire life, you know, like I, she's giving us insight into, into that, that mindset, you know, where she's been, where she goes, you know, what, how it impacted her. Um, that's huge. So even though, you know, Justine Bateman may not be on your radar, even the topic of the book may not be on your radar. If you read books like this, it's, it's going to help you broaden your knowledge and create more reliable characters. And that's not something I did before. That's something that Patterson taught me. Um, you know, one of the first memoirs I, I read was green lights, you know, Matthew McConaughey, uh, which is one of the reasons why we had him on the show. Um, you know, it's, it's opened a lot of doors for me. And you know, I think I, I like to tell myself I'm developing better characters because of it. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I feel the same way. I, memoir was never something I would, I wouldn't walk to that section in the bookstore necessarily, but over the past couple of years, I've been reading more and, and I, and I, I agree. I think there's so many, there's so much rich material available from everyone and everyone's got their own story uh, that it's it's great to read them and then to and then to have them on the show and kind of talk about the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, so yeah, if you're if you're thinking, well, I only write fiction, this doesn't apply to me. I don't know. Think again. I think you could really use this, uh, as you said, in in improving your own craft. Yeah, absolutely. So here she is, Justine Bateman. Do you miss anything about the '80s? Next. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I feel you. Uh, so in, in People Magazine, um, you said that uh, you always wanted to live a really free life and you wanted to live every day as free from insecurity as you could. Tell me how you do that. Well, you know, um, I mean, one of the reasons I even wanted that to begin with was the books that I read when I was a kid. I mean, you know, kid, teenager, whatever which was like, um, you know, Herman Melville, um, uh, Hunter S. Thompson, right. um, you know, Henry Miller, Anais Nin, you know, I, I was just like, ah, these people are, are doing it. They're, they're feeling where the edges are and then they're going beyond that. And mm. I, and I really wanted to, live a life like that if it was possible you know like to just go beyond where i think i can you know yeah. and then go beyond that yeah 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 that that's fantastic uh this faces is i, I think it's a, a, an incredibly important book I, i'm sure you're very pleased with some of the reviews that have been coming in and, and some of the buzz on online about it. Can you just give our listeners a sense of um, how you approached this book, sort of what, what the structure was and, and sort of the rationale behind it? Yeah, of course. Um, the impetus to write the book was while I was writing my first book, Fame, uh, The Hijacking of Reality. And while I was writing that, which is about the life cycle of fame, from the inside and the outside and sociological reasons as to why people behave the way they do to the famous at different points of their life cycle. Um, and also how did we as a society get to this point where fame is put on such a high pedestal? So, uh, and that book was like, and the book is a lot of things. One of them is me, um, uh, how I processed the backside of fame. I don't mean the dark side. I mean like the backside of the cycle of fame where it descends and it's gone. Okay. And so in doing that, I, I um, Googled my name and autocomplete was just, you know, was looks old. Justine Bateman looks old. And at the time I was like 41, 42. And I thought, really? <laughs> like, I didn't think so, but okay, I'll bite. And there were so many people who were saying this and saying them, saying it so angrily and so passionately, so passionately negatively. And I, uh, for reasons that had nothing to do with my face, I decided to make them write me wrong. And it sent me down this, I mean, it really affected me deeper and longer than I expected it to. And I had to really dig down and get at what irrational fears I had that were um, serving as an anchor for this idea. Why was I bringing this in and letting this be a belief in me? And that's how I process anything that, you know, and that's how I get 
you know, as confident as I can be. I always want to, you know, if something pushes my button, I want, or, you know, feels like it takes me off track, uh, off track of my confidence, then I want to look at that and go, okay, what was going on with me right there? What fear came up for me that I wanted to, you know, mollify somehow? So after I processed all of that, I thought, man, I thought, what is this really crazy idea we have in society right now? And society being all of us, it's not them. It's not some other country doing it to us or something. It's all of us. I thought, what? We have there's this crazy idea out there that every woman should like fix her face, that every woman's face is a problem that needs to be fixed. I was like, that sounds like some serious you know, like, like some serious spiritual, like conspiracy or something like, let's just shut half the population down with this distraction that their faces are broken and need to be fixed. But I, but you know, okay, there's the idea, but I thought, okay, there have to be roots, root fears in our society that are, that are serving as anchors for this idea. Otherwise the idea would just float away. So the book is, um, it's based on my experiences and feelings on the topic and those of about 25 uh, women and some men that I spoke to. Um, and I took all these emotions and experiences and some some stories are an amalgamation of a couple of different people I talked to and some are like based on other things. And um, But they all get at like all these, what I feel are possible root fears that live in our society that have served as anchors for this idea that a woman's face is broken and needs to be fixed. And I feel that in, at least in my own personal life, in exposing these fears and then, you know, assuming that, you know, now that I see this irrational fear, my rational mind can say like, yeah, probably the, the opposite is, is the reality. Things like fears that have nothing to do with the face. Like somebody might fear, you know, if people think I'm old, then therefore, what's that fill in the blank? People think I'm old, then therefore I won't find a mate or I won't find a job or people won't listen to me. Whatever those fears are, just to be able to deal with those fears and then you're facing your body your own. You can do whatever you want to them, but why not take the opportunity to get rid of these fears? Because you'll see that the fears have nothing to do with the skin on your face. And so that's that's what the book is is for, to hopefully shine a light for someone, you know, that like, wow, that that particular fear rings true for me. Maybe if I look at that instead, I won't loathe my face like I do right now. Yeah, it's powerful. You know, I, I was thinking, as I was reading the book, I was thinking about sort of the logic behind it and I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I, I agree with you, there, there's this cultural um, expectation that that women's faces shouldn't age, but to what point, <laughs> right? I mean, are, are they supposed <laughs> to die like Barbie dolls, or how do, how does that work? Like, I know that's not that's the logic you're pushing back against, but I couldn't quite figure that out. Well, and that's what the book's for, you know, to look at what are these reasons? Because I, I don't ever find it useful to just do like positive affirmation, like you know, you just you know, wake up in the morning and you're a champion, just go for it. I mean, you can think that way after you've dealt with the fears, but otherwise you're just going to be, you know, taking a positive affirmation rug and sort of draping it over the fears that sit on the floor. Why not clean up the fears first and then put a, you know, and then your carpet's going to be smooth on the ground <laughs> if it's not draped over some fears. But, you know, some things are like, like I said, like, oh, if people think, you know, someone might think, oh, if people think my face is old, then therefore everybody's got to fill in the blank. You know, then therefore, no, you know, like I said, no one's gonna listen to me or, or if, uh, you know, people will reject me, no one will want to be friends with me. And then all ties down, if you follow the chain of that line of thinking, you know, and then what would happen? And then what would happen like that? Like, if somebody's fear is like, well, if I, uh, if people think I look old, then they won't listen to me. Well, then what would happen? Well, then I won't have any friends. And then what would happen? Well, then I'll be alone. And what if I need help? And then what would happen? Well, then I'll, I'll be, you know, maybe uh, I, I, I'll be in danger and I won't have any help. And then and then what would happen? Well, then I would die. So in essence, people are responding to their their fears about what they think their face might indicate. In essence, they're re they're responding to dying. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. and then it, if you bring that chain all the way around, it's like, if I don't change my face, then I will die. 
Like that's, if you follow the chain of, you know, our bodies and our system doesn't know the difference between a rational fear and an irrational fear. And, and a good illustration of that is like, you can have a dream where your whole family is killed, right? And you feel it and you are terrified and, and beyond sorrowful and you wake up sobbing and you look around, you realize it was a dream. Now your system doesn't know that it just had a dream. Your rational mind is going to have to tell it. It's going to have to calm it down and tell it it wasn't real. It wasn't real. It was just a dream. It was just a dream. It was just a dream. And I, in my experience, that's how our systems work. So if you tell your, if you tell yourself with all that irrational fear, that chain of irrational fear inside that's connecting, you know, when you follow that chain, like I said before, if people think I look old, then I'll be killed or I will die. That's a big incentive to get your face changed. But you know what I mean? It's that, yeah. I mean, actually the, the film I did, um, Violet that, uh, premiered at South by Southwest in, uh, March and, we're talking to distributors now. It'll be probably out in the in the fall. That's about that that experience of like having those thoughts in our mind, or in the film I call it the voice that is critical of you and causes you to make fear based decisions. And how do you unwind that? Mm-hmm. How do you get to a life that is instinct based instead of fear based? So so that's called Violet, and that that stars Olivia Munn, Justin Thoreau, and that'll be a good. Um, companion project for people that have read this book maybe oh great i didn't realize they were uh, related uh what what was the uh, they're only related they're only related because it's i'm i'm the author (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm the author and the filmmaker but the the um it's in the same kind of arena yeah i see okay and how was the feedback from uh the the film festival oh it was great i mean it was yeah, people reacted um, much more, um, um, had much deeper emotional connections with it than, than I'd even hoped for. So it was terrific. And, and you know, I could say the same for, for Face, for this book. Um, I mean, I've had like hundreds and hundreds of DMs from people on Instagram just telling me what it meant, what it means to them and what's going on in their lives and stuff. And it's, 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 it's incredible. Um, the, um, I mean, and like internationally, it's, it's a much bigger response than any of us expected. Like it was like sold out on Amazon, like the first day it's like sold out twice now on Amazon. Like the publishers are like, okay, we're doing another round, <laughs> shipping them out, you know? Um, so it's very cool. Oh, that's great. I'm happy for you. Uh, you know, as a, as a 50 year old guy reading it, I was, uh, I, I read Tess's story a couple times and I wanted to ask you, uh, what the differences were in the stories from the men you talked to versus the women you talked to? Well, a couple of the men that I, uh, that I spoke to were gay and they told me that this was um, really prevalent in the gay community and how extremely critical of older gay men um, at least the the people they knew were, um, and I, I didn't include those stories because I just felt like that was a a really big and interesting concept that deserves its own book. So hopefully one of those guys will do that themselves. <laughs> but um, it was quite interesting, and you know, for for men, uh, maybe it's other things. You know, maybe it's uh, has to do with how much money they make. You know, because that that's a big focus in America that's not as um, not as acutely felt for females. But I think the face criticism is more acutely felt for females than it is for men. Um, but there's uh, yeah, there there are many ways that the the other side tries to distract people from carving their path, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about your process. Um, how, how did you write this? Where did you write it? What, what tools or technology, if any, did you use? Oh yeah. We were getting to that. Right. So the reason I told you the reason I started writing it and then I thought, okay, what format am I going to write face in? Um, you know, on the one hand I could do, uh, in, uh, academic 
look at it because there there's a lot there. You know, I could I could dive into the history of uh, you know the attention on women's faces and all of this, and um, and then go into the different you know how this affects different parts of the world and people from different socioeconomic backgrounds and all of this. And I thought. I was like, yeah, you know, as somebody who's a member of the target audience, I was like, I don't think I'd want to. And the books exist out there like that, that um, that do a great job. Like there's a there's a book by um, uh, called the the survival of the prettiest. That's a great book um, by my friend who's a, a Harvard um, a Harvard University um, professor. Um, and then I thought, okay, well, then if I don't do that, then uh, would it be like, you know, first person, you know, from my point of view or whatever? And I was like, I wouldn't want to read that either. <laughs> I thought, no. And I, I, at times I've written, I mean, I've written in a lot of different styles and at times I've written these, these micro stories, you know, shorter than short stories. And I thought I would want to read it like that. I would want there to, I would want it to be like a bag of potato chips. You know, and each story being a potato chip and you can eat one, think about it, think about the concept that's covered in that story and just read that one and think about it all day. Or you can read them all and then, you know, think about them all later, whatever. You can dive in anywhere in the book and and um, sort of see what that what that perspective is about. Um, so that's 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 how it came uh, about that. And and for me, the writing process, I find writing really easy. And I know that it'll sound like a humbling, humble brag, but <laughs> I think it may be, I think it may be because I let just what works best for me is I let ideas cook for a while inside myself before I start writing them. I don't sit down and go, let me see. I, like, like doesn't work for me. Like to just like, to just start writing and see what happens. I know for other people that that can be a really successful method, but um, I don't like to do it like that. I like to you know, I have, I have like, I have a fold, a big folder full of ideas or thoughts or concepts or, you know, things that could be um, a jumping off point for some book or film, you know, screenplay or a novel. I don't know, but I let them bake for a while. And then, and then it's almost like, I just feel for the timing. It's like, oh, this feels like the right time to start writing that. And then it just, it just comes out and, and it's fine. So I guess if someone takes a long time to write something, um, maybe it's because they start writing it at the point where I start baking mine. <laughs> so uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you have a system for capturing and, and keeping all those ideas as they percolate? Oh, I just I just write them all down on a Word doc. I just I just have a list of ideas, and I go back and look at them sometimes. Um, I also will write if I feel like uh, like I've done this for a lot of scripts. Like, oh, I know what the story would be. I'm, I don't feel ready to write the script though because I know what the story would be, but I'm gonna have to do a lot of research about this world that I put everyone in and stuff. And then I'll just go, oh, I got to get this down. Almost like when you wake up from a dream and you got to get the dream down or it's going right. to kind of slip away. <laughs> so then maybe I'll write that whole thing out, but I'm not ready to write that script yet. Or, yeah. oh, I know what this character would be. And I write the whole character out and then, but I'm not ready to write that, that book or that script yet. Um, uh, yeah. I just keep it in a word doc. It's, it's nothing, you know, and then I, I when I write, um, I just write it, uh, I just type it in a Word doc. <laughs> that's it. That's all right. Yeah, whatever works, right? <laughs> oh, I'll tell you one thing I do do that's a little, uh, a little slightly more complex than that. And I guess I should just put it in a Google doc. I don't know. But I, I put it in a Word doc and then um, I will email it to myself. Because I'm like, if something goes wrong with my computer, at least, I mean, you know, and I have a... Um, I have a backup, um, you know, hard drive and all that. But what if something happens to both of them? What if there's a fire and both of them burn up? At least I can go to Network Solutions, <laughs> you know, that hosts my my uh, email, and it'll be there. Right. Yeah, it's a good feel. I need safe. to put it somewhere because um, 
I just, uh, I, I can't, uh, I, I can't handle the, I don't want to print it all out because I know I'm going to change it, but I just, I, I had an experience like years ago where I, I was writing a bunch of stories and I, I wrote one and I, I just hit the wrong button. I mean, it's just like way before like Apple laptops or anything. I don't know what <laughs> kind of laptop I, it was a long time ago and I hit the wrong button and I deleted it and I didn't have it anywhere else. And I was so upset. Um, yeah. And there's like, it was like a word process. I mean, it wasn't like you could undo it. <laughs> there was no, uh, you know, there was no command to undo that. So anyway, that's one thing I do. Yeah. Those are the kind of mistakes you make once and then you don't do it again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I read uh, that you really enjoy writing short stories. Are you writing any now? No, I, I, I really like the short story format. Um, this is the, I don't plan on writing any more books of short stories, but I really admire that format. Um, I admire that format in short, short films too. You know, um, uh, short film screenplay writing, just the economy of it. You know, you've got to like set it up, pay it off, get out. I just think that's um, a really great discipline. And the people that do it really well, I have a lot of admiration for, um, you know, Adam Johnson, um, um, Deb Olin Unferth, uh, Holiday Reinhorn, um, Joyce Carol Oates. I mean, are just some I can think of off the top of my head that do that are just great at that. So I, I hope I've uh, I hope I've done them proud <laughs> with, <laughs> with how I've structured mine. Yes. Uh, am, am I correct in in saying that you also narrated the audiobook for Face? Yeah, I did. We recorded it recently, and um, it should be available mid May. I think people can uh, order it as early as this Saturday, but um, but then you know they can the it's available for download. I think mid May. So we we were I you know my fault we just got on that late <laughs> but i shouldn't take the whole whole blame but yeah i, I wish that had been ready um earlier but whatever it, it's good yeah i did narrate that yeah excellent was, was that a publisher decision or did you feel strongly about narrating it oh um would that i narrate it versus someone else yes i don't know i just i don't know why i wouldn't right yeah. Yeah. There, there seems to be two camps of authors. Some, some don't ever want to get behind a microphone and others feel like if it's their work, they should absolutely narrate it. So sounds like you're in that second camp. Yeah. I mean, I think if you have a, um, if you have a, a, if you're keen to perform or you have a performer background like myself, um, yeah, why not? Like I, I narrated fame too, the first book. So yeah, I, I like narrating them. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, so are you? Uh, I, I know you said you're not you're not writing any short stories, and you've also said you have all these other ideas. Do you have any sort of gut feeling or general thoughts about what you might write next? Um, for a book, yeah, yeah, the next one, um, yeah. There's a there's a trio. So the last one of the trio is. Um, um, uh, it's going to be an adaptation uh, of the blog I kept when I was, um, when I went, I went to college as a freshman at 46 and graduated at 50. Um, and, uh, that experience I kept a record of, and, uh, so I want to, uh, adapt that. And, um, because I think there's so many, I, th I think that, you know, people say, oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks or it's harder for older people to learn or something like this. I mean, I didn't find either of those to be true in any way whatsoever. I feel like when, when you get older, it's harder to like pick up gymnastics or <laughs> become a tennis pro or something. I mean, there are certain limitations to the physical body, but I don't find that to be true. I mean, all things being equal, I don't find that to be true of the brain. I find the brain to be, you know, very available to learn new things. Um, I mean, that was my experience. And I think those sayings are more so rooted in the 
a fear of how we're going to be perceived or an ego or, um, or sort of triage, the kind of triage way we think as we get older, like um, knowing, oh, let me just listen for what's important. And you can't do that when you're listening to a lecture because all of it could be on the midterm or the final. Um, anyway, so I'll go into that in the book in, in addition to just adapting the blog that I kept. Um, but yeah, that'll be the third one. And then after that, uh, I'm not sure, we'll see, but that's, uh, I, just, I, I just had a plan for the three books. And we'll see after that. And then, you know, screenplays. I mean, I I wrote like four of them during the shutdown because oh, wow. I just I just didn't want to be in uh, I didn't want to be in 2020. I didn't want to be in this reality. I wanted to be in some alternative reality. So it was really like a coping mechanism. Like every day I knew I could get up and be in this other world that I made where nobody had a mask on and I don't know. I have a lot of problems with what happened during 2020 <laughs> with uh, as far as um, um, how much fear there was um, in um, how much fear was a foundation of uh, these reactions. Because yeah. I just don't think panic is ever the answer, no matter what the situation is. Right. And, um, and I feel like that was really, really threaded you know, so detrimentally, um, through our society in 2020. So anyway, I didn't want to be in that. So I was in these other, other worlds instead. <laughs> nice, healthy escapism. Yeah, it really was into something normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Um, as we kind of wrap up, I have one more question for you. Uh, if there is a, a young woman or a young man who, who's listening and, um, they want to be able to step into their voice, whatever that means. What advice or, or what suggestions would you make given your experience? Oh, for writers? Yeah. Um, I would just say, just, just write stuff without putting any pressure on yourself about its style just write stuff that you don't plan on anyone seeing, you know, just, just write. Um, you know, I think sometimes we get into this, like, well, it's gotta be, it's gotta be really good or it's gotta be really, really perfect. Or, you know, it's like good to, according to whose standards or really right or perfect according to what standards. So, you know, maybe you'll write, maybe you find that you like to write one word um, with a word, then a space, like a big space, a tab, then another word, then another tab, then another word. And, and that's how you like to write. I mean, what if E.E. E. Cummings had decided, you know, oh, I really got to write properly. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't have any of his work. So, I think, um, I think, and not to break convention just for the sake of it, but let's see, let's see. Maybe your writing is just like, just dialogue. That's all it is. No description. I don't know. But if you, I find that if you let yourself just write um, and just tell yourself, no one's going to see this. I'm just going to write, no one's going to see it. Maybe it'll allow you to be more honest about what you're writing. And then maybe you're going to burn it afterwards delete it afterwards i don't know or more or more free with the kind of style you're writing in um i think that can help someone to find what really appeals to them not what's going to appeal to other people because i think if you're faithful to what your if, you, if you're faithful to your own work and you endeavor to get that work out there then you're you're being faithful to it but if you endeavor to do work that you're sure other people are going to like where you sort of betrayed your vision for what you wanted to do and you get it out there let's say it does really well because you did that all right you've got this money now and maybe this acclaim but you know inside yourself you betrayed that work so that can't feel good um and 
you know, more likely, you know, which is more likely the, the outcome for, you know, all the work we ever do is that it doesn't make that much money. So now you've got two problems. You changed what you were doing in order to make the money and get the acclaim. And that didn't happen. So now you've got a project that didn't get money acclaim and you betrayed that work and you know you did. Now you've got two problems. Whereas before you only had one problem, which was I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to be faithful to this work. I hate that word authentic. I'm going to be faithful to this work and maybe it'll do well. Maybe it won't. I don't know. And, you know, I mean, that's, you know, when I, you know, was writing fame, I knew what form I started one format. I got halfway through that and I knew what it had to be and I changed it and I had to find a publisher that was cool with that. A lot of publishers that were like, uh-uh, why don't you write a memoir? Uh-uh. I mean, I wrote, wrote about that in the, in the introduction to fame. And then same thing with face. Why don't you write a memoir about this? I'm like, I don't know. Why would I? I mean, I'm a writer. What, what am I writing a memoir for? No, I'm, that's not what I do. I'm a writer. And so, you know, and, you know, luck, you know, I love working with Akashic Books. And so luckily they were like, I get what you're doing here. This is great. So if I had changed it and it was successful, I'd feel, I'd creatively, I'd just feel really bad about that. And if it hadn't been successful, I'd be like, oh my God. I just betrayed my own work and I betrayed it for a purpose that didn't even come to pass. What have I done? Whereas this way I put work out there that is where I know I was faithful to that work. And if it does or doesn't do well, it's out of my hands. I knew, I know that I did what I was supposed to do for that work. Like you, you are the steward of that work. And the only way it's going to get out there in its full display is if you if you are faithful to it otherwise you'll block it all right let's kick it to jd first what are your thoughts <laughs> the the life cycle of fame that that, that was kind of going through my head um and just that the idea of like her sitting down at a computer and typing in google you know her own name and then you know auto completing says looks old like i just i can't imagine living in you know that environment and it, I, I was just eating lunch and i was reading an article there was an interview with william shatner where he mentioned that he's 90 you know and it's like just the the chain you know like the the differences and and everything that happens out in hollywood just that that's a, a scary place i don't think i ever want to go there yeah I, I can't imagine and you know justine um and jason just grew up in that like that that's all yeah. they've known and uh you know i it what, what really impressed me i mean the the topic is important i mean this idea of aging and especially for women and there's such a double standard there and uh but like the other thing that really interested me, um, and I think she's, it's her next book, is this idea of like going back and getting your college degree at, at 46 or starting college at 46, which says a lot about a person, in my opinion. Like there, that's, that's, a, that's a desire to be sort of a lifelong learner, to really want to improve and not really care sort of what the societal standards are. So if that, that kind of loosely tied into, to, into the, this book as well. Well, without going off too far off uh, topic here, like, you know, my, my daughter is three and a half and my, my wife is older than three and a half. Um, and, and both, both of them, both of them Good are boy. learning, <laughs> both of them are learning Spanish right now. Um, my wife's got a, an app that she's been using and they do about 30 minutes a day or so on, on this app. And, you know, they're, they're religious about it. She doesn't miss it at all. Um, and you know, like my daughter is picking it up so easily, you know, like it's literally second nature to her. No, no more difficult than picking up a remote control and understanding how it works and you know my wife is she's picking it up as well but obviously it's, it's harder for her and you know I'm a little older than my wife so like the idea of you know learning a foreign language at this point for me you know at 50 like just seems so far off um, but at the same time you know Justine brought up a, a really good point like our, our brain is just one of those things you know it doesn't matter how the body ages our brain you know just gets better and better you know for the most part unless something goes goes wrong there um, and you can continue to feed it and I think it's important that you do because if, if you don't I think that's where it actually gets week you know just just like exercise in general you know like if you keep working that that your brain you know it, it, it's going to be there for you um and it, I, I love the fact that she's willing to go back to college at 50 i think more people should you know like, like life is long you know it's like and you should spend it you know learning what you want and, and trying new things and you know experience as much as you possibly can i mean she yeah 
Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. No, go, no ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, she's, uh, she just struck me as a really brave person. Like, she's brave. Like, she just puts it out there, doesn't care. Uh, and, and that's uh, that's kind of rare. And, and I think it, I, I mean, I don't know Hollywood at all, but, like, uh, she she just kind of does her thing. And, like, you know, I, I kind of jokingly said in the intro of Blast from the Past, but, like, she's been writing screenplays and developing films and, and writing books and earning college degrees, like, uh, you know, she she just doesn't really care what what those standards are, and that's uh, that's really appealing. Well, that's the other thing that's kind of weird about Hollywood, right? Like we only get glimpses of these people, you know, when in a movie or a TV show, you know, a year here, a year there, ten years goes by in between, like that kind of thing. But you know, obviously they're filling that time in between, and 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 you know, it's it's great that she's off doing stuff like this. I, I think her backup method for her book needs a little work, like emailing it to herself. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that that was a little scary. But like I remember back in the '90s, I was working on a book doctor project, and I, I got up one morning and turned on my computer because this was back in the day where you turned it off every night when you were done with it and it just made this strange clicking noise and the hard drive had fried overnight and I had no backup um, so I, I literally had to start that project over again and I, you, had, you had mentioned everybody experiences that kind of thing once like that, that, that is so true it only happens the one time but um, it, it, will, it will happen and you learn from it and it's, it's horrible yeah, I I was trying to find the quote before we came on, but I can't remember. But I, I know this kind of relates to what Jay was saying because I, I, I love what Jay said about, you know, just she's really raw about her experiences and stuff. And she's really tackling some pretty, you know, hard subjects and stuff like that. But I was trying to remember this one. There was something a couple years ago where I can't, I think some famous, it had something to do with Jim Carrey, but basically the gist was some famous person said something about how hard it was to be famous. And someone had said, well, only they can have that can say that because they're famous, <laughs> you know, and and I mean, I can't imagine, you know, especially like growing up that way and, you know, not having a normal childhood. And I mean, that adds like a whole other thing. But she's like you said, just kind of doing what she wants and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I really admire that. And I love what she said, too, at the end. Um, about just, you know, write like no one's going to read it, you know, write like nobody's watching pretty much. And uh, and and and, you know, I, I really thought that that was really awesome, too. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fun interview. And, and hopefully you guys out there uh, enjoyed it. Pick up the book, especially if you're um, if you're a little bit older, maybe a little bit older than Zach and uh, you're starting to see some wrinkles. <laughs> Uh, this this book will is is definitely uh, something that will will keep you thinking. So yeah, great interview with Justine Bateman. All right, so next week we have our monthly Q and A. Uh, I believe it'll just be Zach and I. I don't think JD can make it for that, right, JD? I am going to be on a beach in Florida, <laughs> but but you guys have fun. <laughs> so if you are a uh, patron and you want to join us. Uh, we'll be putting out some, some reminders through patreon.com. You can submit us a question or join us live on the recording and ask your question and be on the podcast. Uh, that'll be next week. All right. Well, to our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.